Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. looking forward to today's guest, Cody Two Bears. For as long as anyone can remember, America has been trying to come to terms with questions of race and equality. Much of our focus has been on the African-American community and for good reason. However, far too often overlooked and forgotten are the peoples whose ancestors inhabited this majestic land for generations before the first white man set foot on the continent. Today, I am talking with my friend, Cody Two Bears of the Standing Rock Sioux. Cody has been at the center of his people's battle against the Dakota pipeline, which served their sacred lands. So here today, and it is my pleasure to have Cody Two Bear and to talk of his people and share his story. So Cody, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Aaron. It's uh, it's a pleasure to be a part of your show. I'm uh, very excited about this discussion, and also, you know, thanking me. I also, like to thank you for a lot of the work that you have done in your history and your past of uh, protecting water rights in this country and in, in the world. Uh, just to bring up the the voice of the voiceless uh, for them and to stand up for what's right is very, very important, and it falls right in line with our Native American uh, heritage and traditions and customs that we still follow today. Oh, well, it's, it's been my privilege and to have an understanding of uh, which so much of us have possibly forgotten about or moved away from or for many reasons thought it was being, in fact, protected our lands and our water, and it hasn't. And so can you give the listeners a background, please, and, and tell us about your people and, and everything that has been happening with you up at Standing Rock? Yeah, so just to kind of let you know, I'm still a very young man. Um, I'm still 35 years old, (laughs) of course. But you're a baby, oh my gosh. Yeah, I've learned a lot along the way. At the same time, I got the privilege and honor to be able to uh, serve my people from uh, um, 2013 to 2017 in the Standing Rock Sioux Tribal Council. Uh, So I was one of the youngest elected leaders in our Standing Rock Sioux Tribal history at that time so I got to serve four years for my community and then the crazy part of that whole situation is that um, um, in 2013 my first year in office uh, we got President Barack Obama to come to Standing Rock in my community that I served in Cannonball which where the encampments and the protests all went down at the northern border of our reservation boundaries that's the community that I represented for four years for my tribe And uh, what a coincidence, you know, uh, fast forward two years later, uh, Barack Obama had to make a a tough decision to try to protect uh, our water and our rights and uh, stand up for indigenous issues. Well, he came previously two years ago to our lands and promised us that he would do what he can to help our people. So what a coincidence and uh, what a four years that we've uh, definitely had in Standing Rock during that time. But since then, I've been out of politics uh, outside of 2017. Um, I told myself, you know, we like to protest about it, talk about it, the environment, but, you know, it's time to start to be about it. And uh, so that's why I started my own initiative, uh, my own nonprofit called Indigenized Energy, 
which currently now we have the largest solar farm on Standing Rock, three miles away from the pipeline crossing um, in North Dakota, which is the largest solar farm in North Dakota to date. So we uh, we did remarkable things uh, two years after the pipeline and, uh, and all the protests. So we're doing what we can to try to live by that and uh, keep pushing to uh, go 100% renewable within our reservation boundaries as well. See, that's amazing. And that leads me to so many things that I want to ask you. We could probably talk all day. Uh, there was a feature, um, certainly in Parade Magazine, about the work that you were doing with the largest solar energy farm in North Dakota and the Cannonball community. And that has to feel really good. And I, I love what you said about be about it. Uh, I My show, Superman's Not Coming, comes from my book that's getting ready to be released about Superman's Not Coming, but about we the people and how we do have to be informed and how we have to be about it. I love what you said. And what is your take going from, you know, the political end to where you are about be about it, which I know you always have been. Do you think you could get more done in politics or do you think you can get more done outside of that arena? Um, and like I said, I was very fortunate to be in the political system those four years of, of being in our tribes, tribal council. And let me tell you, I've learned a lot and I'm blessed to be able to learn and represent my people in that time. But since then, I've realized the bureaucracy of how things and the systematic ways that, um, you know, our founding fathers and this country was created on, it always seems like it, there's a lot of steps that needs to be taken to kind of get things rolling, per se. Uh, you know, sometimes mm-hmm. this one simple motion could take several months just for it to even reach the floor or even be discussed or talked about and having so many different types of views and things through the political process. So one thing I've learned outside of politics is I've learned that, you know, moving forward, the direction I wanted to move is I wanted to move into uh, attacking a lot of philanthropy people out there in the world, people that really have a good heart, that want to give the great causes and create a lot of awareness around the issues that we face around us today, whether it's renewable energy, whether it's equal rights, women's rights, uh, missing and murdered indigenous women. I mean, there's a lot of issues that we can stand behind out there, definitely. But I wanted to start my own nonprofit. And one thing I've learned through nonprofits and the work that we can do there is we're able to do things on the ground today where vice versa, not having to go through any political process of, uh, you know, going through this committee, that committee, bringing it to the floor and then having, you know, the president or the chairman sign off on it. So, you know, that's one reason why in my, how in my heart I felt I need to do the work today and for me to be able to do the work today is to start my own nonprofit to be able to do these things now. And let me tell you, um, in North Dakota, you know, if you haven't already known, we're the second biggest oil producing state in the country. And knowing that um, we were one of the leading coal states in the country as well. So just so some of the types of rules and regulations that they have placed in North Dakota definitely made it that much more difficult to get something like this done in this state. Um, so it, it took a lot of a, a process, but not only that, you know, we kind of blazed the trail now for a lot of people in our area to say, hey, we want to look at renewable energy. Hey, it is possible to bring renewable energy in this day, especially solar. And uh, so we're very, very proud of our accomplishments that we have created here, being in a, a place where it's pro-oil, pro-coal. See, that's amazing. And 
what a trailblazer you are. And again, I, I love this conversation because it, it is about, you know, being out on the ground. I think that you see and observe and learn more by being in your community, working with the people, um, teaching them what you, what you've learned because that empowers them to, to also do the same as I know we have our politics and again, another conversation we could have forever, but I really found uh, for me personally, because everyone always asks me to get involved. I, I like being outside um, with the people on the ground um, and finding out what's, what's happening to them. Cause oftentimes these communities know what's best for them and how we can get them to rise up and speak up such as you have done. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I, I definitely want to make sure we, we get to the Supreme Court decision, but just by way of background uh, to explain your land and how the pipeline actually came to be and why that created such controversy. Yeah, I think, you know, if a lot of people, one thing I've learned and what people got to understand is you got to know where you've been before you know where you're going in the future. And that's basically that the same as this uh, court case that we're dealing with, right, that we've uh, been fighting for for now, I think, approaching five years or so. Um, so basically, it all goes back to our original treaty lands. Um, if people were to do the research on our 1886 uh, Fort Laramie Treaty, they would uh, see and understand that there was actually five states involved in that treaty that gave us 60 million acres of land back then. And and this is 1886, you know, and short, short while later, 1877, which was not too long ago, 11 years ago, um, 11 years after that, you, the president, Ulysses S. Grant, back then was the president, uh, the president that's on the $50 bill. Um, he did this act, which was the Indian Appropriations Act, which uh, better known to us as the Seller Starve Act, because they um, forced us to give up your land for uh, basically gold, the Western migration that, you know, people were moving west to California when they found gold mm -hmm. in this country. And uh, when they were moving from uh, east to west, what happened is was they found gold in our Black Hills. Um, and mm -hmm. when they found gold in our Black Hills, Ulysses S. Grant did the executive order to uh, do this uh, Indian Appropriation Act, which took a lot of our um, lands away from our people from our original treaty territory lands, which was agreed to by the our federal government back in 1886. So fast forwarding, you know, to try to do a fast version of this because I know we have a limited <laughs> amount of time. But at the same time, you know, we, we forward back to those treaties and what the, the, um, this country just took away from us. Um, a lot of that pipeline route that you see, you know, we try to um, go at it a numerous amount of different ways. Um, one was the... Um, Historical Preservation Act in 1993 that this uh, country developed and maintained where sacred sites, if you, uh, we, once we identify sacred sites that you can't, um, you know, mass produce or um, do any kind of infrastructural projects around those. So this was created in 1993. Well, you know, we have a THPO office. Standing Rock was the very first tribe to have a, a tribal historic preservation office within our tribal boundaries. And establishing that, you know, we, with that law back then, you know, we definitely identified all our sacred sites. Even, even without, even um, beyond our reservation, current reservation boundaries today, we, we go throughout our original treaty territory lands 
which fell along the corridor of this pipeline. Well, knowing that, um, you know, we found over 200 significant sites along this corridor uh, through this pipeline. So we knew that, you know, through this process that we knew that we had, the state had to get involved with our tribe and saying that these are significant, that they cannot go mm -hmm. on this pipeline and they have to reroute it around these sacred sites. Well, at that time, the state closed its doors and didn't follow the law when it came to uh, uh, the uh, Historic Preservation Act. And uh, so that was wrong in itself there. But one thing the Dakota Access Pipeline understood back then was that once you took off an inch off the top soil, you could never, ever put that back into, feder into the federal register, meaning you can't hmm. have it as a monument or a, a sacred site anymore. So you, you, you probably remember on Labor Day weekend um, at that time when they, they, the Dakota Access Pipeline uh, private security unleashed dogs on their people. At that time, yeah. that was when they came with the bulldozers and they start attacking right. all our sacred sites and bulldozing them down. Um, we kind of had a standout then. So that was kind of right. one legal process that came and gone real quick. So the next process that we had to do was, of course, the crossing of the Missouri River. We knew that there had to be a permitting process involved in that, and which is a really, really good educational piece because even in the law today, um, we were still never, ever mentioned in the original EA, which is the environmental assessment. We were never mentioned as a tribe, as a people, like we never existed. Mm -hmm. um, this pipeline was supposed to go within the, the state, Bismarck, North Dakota, which is the state of North, uh, the, the capital city of North Dakota. It's supposed to go through there. Well, they didn't want it, so they put it a half mile north of my community, uh, right, just right above the reservation boundaries there which is original tree territory land, but since the government illegally took a lot of the land from us, you know, it was a half mile off our borders. But at the same time, um, what they did was they went through this process called uh, um, Nationwide Permit 12, which you might be familiar with, Aaron. And uh, to do a major infrastructural project like this, you know, mm -hmm. it's the least permitting process you could do crossing federal waters managed by the mm -hmm. court. Which is insane. So yeah, most people don't know that, about that. Like, even like transmissional lines. That's what major infrastructural pipelines crossings follow the same line as transmissional lines that go above the water. You know, so that's the, and then we argued that it should not be that way. We need a full EIS, which is an environmental impact statement, so we yep. can get our side, our story involved to say, hey, you know, we need to know what how this is going to impact us our wildlife, our land, our possibly our drinking water. You know, we need a right. whole impact statement on how this could impact the whole environment around us. So um, what you just heard well, leading up to this point now, they, they finally awarded that to us. Now they have to do a full EIS. But those are the two main areas back then when I was serving in tribal council on the only way we could stop this pipeline. See, and it, it amazes me how we – there are so many regulations and rules and laws around that most of us have no idea what you just shared with us even existed and the hurdles you had to go through to get to where you are. You know, we've all seen what happened in Standing Rock um, and frankly in horror and certainly in awe of you standing up for what you believed in. And how did that feel for you? And especially, you know, 
because so many joined with you that that had to be a, a very good feeling um, during the most adverse of circumstances, not to mention legal challenges, and then to see the standoff that was happening. But you personally, how did that feel? Yeah, I mean, I think it was just, you know, we never, like like a lot of issues, there's a lot of Native issues, Indigenous issues around the world. And when we knew we had an uphill battle that we faced that was coming towards us, us as Native Americans, we... um we have these things called protocols, right? That things, traditional ceremonies and things that we conduct with our um, our spiritual leaders and things like that. Um, and just kind of the quick little short story is that is a, we did the same type of protocol when uh, we had went through the Battle of the Little Bighorn when our great Sioux Nation <laughs> defeated uh, the U.S. government in battle. Um, you probably <laughs> heard of that war. Well, we go through this sacred yep. process of ceremonies leading up to these big, big issues that we face. And uh, we did the same type of protocols 150 years ago uptown now when we were facing this issue. We did the same type of ceremonies. And within that ceremonies, what they told us was that we need to move forward with peace in prayer and we'll win. And we never quite understood fully what that really meant. We just knew that we had to be very peaceful and prayerful. And uh, we called the world to stand with us, to be, to be peaceful and prayerful through that time. And uh, that was the most powerful thing that I saw, Aaron, through this whole process, is that we had 350 different indigenous tribes in this country, you know, numerous of different other indigenous tribes and people around the world that have joined us through this effort. And the most amazing thing and powerful thing about the Standing Rock movement was that it remained peaceful and prayerful the whole time. And the opposite side of Dakota Access Pipeline and their private security and the state and a lot of county sheriffs and people that got involved, they were the ones being very violent to us. And our people stood there like stone and in prayer, wanting this water, this crossing, we're trying to protect for our future generations and we're doing it Mm -hmm. in a prayerful and peaceful way. And to this day, We've never hurt one individual on their side. And if I can recall any movement in history, I've never, ever seen anything like that. So that was the very most powerful thing that I was proud of, to see that when actually everybody comes together, no matter what race you are, what color you are, where you Mm -hmm. come from, what religion, what background, what political view you have, if you come together together for the most common purpose, which is clean drinking water, I think that was the most powerful message that we see that once we stand together, we can accomplish amazing, amazing things. Absolutely. And that unity is in, is incredible. One thing that struck me the most during that time was a photograph with um, the horse. And I don't know if you know the, the person from your tribe that was on that horse, but it was majestic. But what he faced was, um, all the tanks. I'll never forget that. But there was, for me, coming through that photo, such confidence um, on principle and being united in protecting that water. I'll I'll never forget that. Absolutely. And I think a lot of that, you know, Aaron, just comes from our cultural history, who we are as a people, Uh, you know, the types of things that we live by even today of that sacred knowledge and that sacredness of, of the environment and earth and the animals and how so we're connected so clearly 
that those are our relations. Like in our language, you say madakyapi, which means all our relations. And what I mean, what we mean by that is that, you know, anything that has a, like a nahi, nahi is what we say in our language, a spirit. And, you know, like water moves, it has a spirit, you know, like, like plants, oh, they, move, they grow, they have a spirit. We're all related. We're all connected because we all have that nahi, that spirit. So we all have to take care of one another. And uh, that's why we understood the importance of what we were trying to protect at that time. Why do you feel that so many of us have moved away? So I talk about this often, and you were right. We, there is, I think we have more in common than we want to either have a conversation about, but let's start with just water and our land and our air, because without this planet and what it provides for us, there would be no us. But there's such a disconnect between many of us and our environment and that being united and standing on that principle of the value of this planet that sustains everything that we do and who we are. What, do you, what is your opinion about how that disconnect has happened and how we can get back to it? Absolutely. You know, you know what it is? It's just basically, you know, when I, I went out and did a lot of speakings in the last five years, you know, I got to travel the... The, the continent quite well. And uh, when I go to places like New York City or Los Angeles, and, you know, you can probably, you know, experience the same thing. But, I mean, I, I live in the country. I live off the land. I live off of, you know, a lot of land. We see land for miles where I live. And um, just to see a lot of these people go from A to B, time-sensitive, this building to that building, this meeting to that meeting, they don't really get the chance to see what's around them. Until something right. affects them, where if they have no water or their water, look at look at Flint, Michigan, you know, how, how their water was mm-hmm. contaminated there. They don't really understand the importance of something until it really affects them. And I can right. honestly tell you that, you know, us being indigenous peoples of this land, the first peoples, we've been affected since first contact, since apparently when, the, you know, Christopher Columbus um, found this land that we were already on and we should continue to honor him today that, you know, since first contact, we've had issues of protecting that. And, uh, you know, us getting sick, us getting, um, you know, diseases and illnesses and, you know, not clean drinking water and just all these drugs and alcohol and things that have come to this world by the Western world that they've created and brought to our people. You know, those are the types of things that we've always remembered. And, uh, you know, a lot of it comes also down to money. You know, uh, we look at that as a way of saying, hey, the more money we make, you know, the better life we can live. But at the same time, I think we think the total opposite. We think the more land and water and resources, natural resources, Mm -hmm. plants and food we can grow, that's our resource. That's our land life right there. It's a whole different, totally way of thinking. Well, you know, a lot comes with money. You know, it comes with extraction. It comes with tearing up the land. It comes with building these big skyscrapers. So, you know, a lot of that comes through the economic status of this Western world and what has taught these people is that we need to really, really, really um, destruct the land and the water and the plants and the animals to be able to flourish. You know, where we have the total opposite thinking where, you know, we have to grow more trees, you know, take care of the animals and the water and the land to make sure that we have a future. So it just basically comes down to, you know, education, educating yourselves. I think what Standing Rock has taught the world 
is that how the people are using their money in their banks. You know, we could be a big mm -hmm. environmentalist, Aaron, not knowing our money that we put in these precious banks are putting loans with that money to big infrastructural projects like pipelines. And I think right. when they did that big divestment movement of Standing Rock, it opened up a lot of people's eyes to say, hey, where is my money going? Or, hey, when I buy something, you know, where is this coming from? Who am I funding? Mm -hmm. You know, so it just kind of brings a whole new complex of, um, um, I guess, staying woke, uh, as they say, or just more information on educating yourself. Right. What's really, really, you know, um, destructing this land and earth when we do buy certain things in our stores that we don't realize what we're doing. Well, and you're right. It is about information and education and awareness. And uh, this is exactly what I prefer to do in my work as well. And then I'll, you know, sometimes more often than not, most of the time, you know, politics comes in with this division and um, back to our conversation about being united on the same page about the environment. I do feel I'm wondering if you feel this way too, that we're in that window of waking up to this right now. Absolutely. And I think, you know, just to kind of finish up that question is that now is the time to really be more self-sufficient than ever. And what I mean mm -hmm. by that is that we have to start growing our own foods in our backyards, you know, like growing your own fruit food is like growing your own or you know, stealing or taking money. You know, it takes away that much from that systematic process that relies on you to the point where you have to go out and outsource all the time. We have to continue to use our money to outsource to bring things in. But our mindset moving forward now is how can we insource everything? How can we do that within communities? And that's what my nonprofit is doing, Indigenized Energy, is we want to be able to create energy and create sovereignty within our own communities. And what best way to do that? Can we do that to accomplish that? What type of platform could we set for the rest of the world to see that, hey, we don't need to rely on outside corporations anymore. We can do this stuff on our own. Within indigenous cultures and histories and protocols, you know, we, we have that knowledge of finding our own medicines through the years. We have that knowledge of what foods to grow and what times of the seasons we're in need, right? You know, we have right. that knowledge of being able to, once we um, take from the land, how to always preserve it and give back and what the land needs to renew. Re mm -hmm. mm -hmm. So we have all that, in, that knowledge, which I think Native Americans have a lot to give. But the sad part of it is, is like Native Americans today, um, nobody, you don't see a whole lot of Native Americans in mainstream media. You know, they try to block that out because the more information we can share you know, uh, mainstream media or the corporations will try to shut us out because that takes that much more money out of their pockets by trying to share who we are and what we can give to the world. Well, that's why what you said in the beginning just really struck with me, and I, I have it written in front of me right now, be about it and how we as individuals take ownership of these things again that that I don't know if I don't know that we just gave away, but I just think it's been a process of decades where things have been eroded and, and suppressed and not talked about and not taught about. Um, and even social media has really opened our eyes to so many things that we didn't know what was going on. And so you're right about be about it. And, and something you said struck me that, that I've made a comparison with the planet. Um, it, I think of it, uh, 
like an ATM machine. You know, if you go to the bank and you just keep withdrawing and withdrawing and withdrawing and withdrawing and never giving anything back, meaning a deposit, eventually there's nothing that will come out of the ATM because you've taken it all. And I, I feel often that we are so on the cusp of having just taken and taken and taken and taken and taken from this planet that we're in that moment where we must give back. Absolutely. That's the most important teaching I think Native Americans can provide to the Western world and this colonized world is, you know, a lot of people are now are starting to understand that and they are asking questions. You know, a lot of our history is being exposed. Uh, We're starting to understand how this country was founded. It was founded on violence and and not, not to say that, you know, we're against and trying to be against our country. I just think that we have to all accept what has been and then move forward in a productive, productive way on, you know, who has these resources to teach? What can we do to protect our environment? And not only that, you know, for our future generations, because my, my goal ever since the day I was born is my grandma always told me this is that what you do to the earth, the plant, the waters, the animals, says a lot about who you are as a person. And I've Mm -hmm. learned a lot about that, you know, who I am as a person. And I definitely want to leave where my community a lot better off than when I I first started or when I was first born. So that's been my goal. And I think a lot of people around the world should follow in that initiative to say, hey, I want to make my community better than when I first left it. Right. You're absolutely right, and I talk about that as well. I have a program called RAM, which is Realize, Assess, and Motivate Oneself. And uh, when you ask somebody to, uh, to, you know, assess who you are, it's about taking stock, not in what you have or the car you're driving or what your bank account says, but taking stock in who you are, that character, that bravery, that courage, that willingness to to stand up, um, these are things, as your grandmother taught you, yep. are invaluable. Absolutely. So, the, you know, first the pipeline gets its permit yanked, and now the Supreme Court grants Native Americans the half of Oklahoma. And um, I don't know if everyone has seen that Supreme Court decision, and, and I know you're very aware of it. And is this a turning point? Well, just from knowing, I think, what was it, uh, Aaron? Was it a 5-4 decision, I believe? Yes, I believe it was, yes. Very close. And I think it's kind of, it it is a big step in the right direction, but it also is a threat (laughs) to the civilized world, like the Western colonizational world, because if they, if we were, this kind of opens the door for like even the great Sioux Nation and the Black Hills. Of course, you've seen President Trump just speak on our homelands, during the 4th of mm-hmm. July, and we, we uh, told them we didn't want them within our homelands. And uh, the sad part of that is, is, you know, they had to engulf, you know, some of the, these presidents that are um, st- sketched out in stone on our rock within our sacred homelands. We have to live with that every single day on, on uh, that, that, that stolen land, basically. And uh, mm-hmm. the government illegally took that from us. From our treaties, they should have followed the treaties. But what that does do, Aaron, is that opens the door to revisit something like that for a lot of tribes that the government broke their treaties on. So, you know, mm-hmm. that's kind of interesting that, you know, this 5-4 decision that happened. It was 5-4. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and it was very interesting to a lot of tribes to say, hey, now, maybe we all need to battle this the same way to say, hey, maybe we can start getting some of our original lands that were taken away from us illegally as well. So that does open the door to a lot, but at the same time, it threatens, you know, this economic status, a way of life of colonization in this country. So, you know, mm-hmm. take it as you will, but for Indians in native native country, it's it's a blessing because... The more land we can win back, the more we can restore those lands to its regenerative state and to try to protect that and preserve that in the way moving forward. So it's very important. And I think that's important. I hope the turning point is as all of these, you know, it's like the the stars collided and all of these issues for decades that have been there, but we haven't addressed or they've been concealed or hidden. And there's a whole you know, I guess we could blame anybody and everybody for everything that's gone on, but that doesn't get us anywhere. I hope the turning point is, as all of this breaks open, like, I feel like it's just a collision at once, that we find that unity again and not the division. There has been such hatred and such division. I just never thought I'd see it in my lifetime, but getting back to that unity, and there is common goals for all of us, but how we can do it with, you know, I talk about logic, which is your common sense, leverage, joining your community, um, the loyalty, that stick-to-itiveness that as you've exhibited to see your cause through to the end, and then ultimately why we all do what we do, and it's born of love, and to get back to that collective place for a better world for us all. You know, it just comes back to a simple point, like you say, Erin is that we're fearful. We're a fearful people of what's mm-hmm. really out there in the world. And over the years, over the decades, we've start, everybody starts to put up these walls. A lot of times we don't even know who our, our neighbors are anymore. We don't talk to them. Mm-hmm. We don't help them. Mm-hmm. You know, back in, in our cultural ways, um, community-based, we, we always did something for the community every single day to help build our communities to where they are. Well, nowadays everybody's so divided and so blocked off that they're protective over one another uh, and, and they're not afraid to, they're, they're afraid to go out and ask questions or they're afraid to go and experience something they feel uncomfortable with. That uncomfortable feeling is what we got to um, get away from. I just want to give you an example, Aaron, and I don't tell this story to, to a whole lot of people because um, I kind of wanted to write a book about this in the future at some point to kind of share what I've seen and what I've, you know, the process through this whole no dapple and the encampments and, all these things that I've, I've seen firsthand. But there was an individual in our um, white community just north of the protest here in Mandan, North Dakota, was just kind of, you know, calling us down every name in the book, go home, you know, everything, and just saying, why are you guys, pro-, you know, protesting, you know, get out of here, you don't, you don't belong here, and everything was just against everything that we stood for while protecting our water. So I reached out to this gentleman, being, being me being the leader of the tribe at that time of my community, and I invited him. I didn't think he was going to come, but I invited him to the camps, Aaron, and uh, I didn't think he was going to come. And here he decided to come to see exactly what we were doing down there because the media would portray it as we're doing something illegal, you know, we're, we're hurting mm. you know, police and all these things, which never was the case, you know, doing all these bad, bad things, Um and so I brought this individual down. He, he was an older gentleman. He must have been in his 60s, late 60s, early 70s. And I brought him to the encampments. 
And once he's seen the spirit of the people, like how people actually wasn't so divided anymore. We all lived together. We all lived off of each other. We all lived in harmony. We all got along. We all shared stories. And he fell in love with that. And I don't wow. tell the story to a whole lot of people because, you know, it's, it's a difficult thing where, where I live. You know, like the down south, it's always the blacks and whites, but people don't understand. In the northern part of our country, it's, it's the Indians and cowboys. <laughs> I mean, it literally is. There's a lot of history up here, right? So, but just from what I saw there told me that, you know what, all it really is is that people are afraid because they don't really know our experience or they don't want to. They don't want to be open. Mm -hmm. So if we can just be open and honest with ourselves to just be more of accepting, even though we agree to disagree, if we can get to that level of saying, hey, you know, I'll show you my culture, you show me yours, and Mm -hmm. sharing, I think that will bring more people together and make them truly understand that we are in this together and we have to do what we can to make sure we're here in the next 50 years. You're absolutely right. And I hope you write that book. I know you will. And I, I, I'm so honored that you shared that story with us. It's very heartwarming and important. And it took courage on both of your parts to, for you to reach out and for him to accept. And it is breaking down that barrier of oftentimes something that's unknown or that fear and how that stands in our way. Um, that's, that's an amazing story. And I know you, those stories will continue because you will continue just what you, I don't want to say the word work because my work doesn't feel like work. It's just who you are and what you do and how we can get back um, to a more united, better place. And I'm a big fan of yours and I have been for uh, some time and I admire your courage and your perseverance and um, helping to educate others on things that many of us oftentimes don't know. And I find myself just when I think I know something, I don't, Um, but we have to be open and willing to learn um, that something went on that maybe we don't know about, but that doesn't mean it didn't happen or that doesn't mean it's not real. And to find our courage again as people. Yeah. Just to let you know too. I mean, I didn't know much about you until I watched your movie. Then I had to know, look up everything there was to know about (laughs) who Aaron Brockovich really was. And uh, like I said, you know, it just inspired me to know that there's actually other people out there that really, really care and doing everything, and they live this way of life, and it's a hard way of life, I, I have to admit, you, you know that, you know, there's not much in it for us other than just doing it from the heart, and that's always the best way to go about it, but protecting our water and clean drinking water for everyone, I mean, that's the most important part, I think, that we should all be, Absolutely. That's, that's national security, a lot, this country always says pipelines and oil is national security, national security should water. be making sure our water is preserved and clean. Water. Water is life, and we are waking up to that. And, you know, um, you are young, and it's it's so – listen, I'm in my legacy phase. <laughs> I just turned 60, which I cannot believe, with four grandchildren now. But it is something that in my legacy phase, and I worry about my grandchildren's future, to know that the youth is there, and I've been struck of late – 
having a, an intern uh, that's 17 and how much they do know about the environment and what it is their their goals will be moving forward. That gives me hope. And, and that is something that none of us can ever lose, is that hope. And I will always believe in a power of we the people um, and to have that hope and to move in the right direction. And, and you've certainly given me hope. I want to thank you for that and everything that you do. I, I hope I get to see you soon. That'd be great. Like I said, you always invited Standing Rock. And, uh, you know, the most important piece on everything you just said was that in everything that we do, whether it's our nonprofit, whether it's history, education, we always have to have a youth initiative within what we're doing because everything that we're doing, the work that you're doing, that I'm doing, is for nothing if we don't educate the youth and get the youth involved. So it's always the most Absolutely. Important. It is important, and I want to feel good passing off in, in my legacy phase, uh, hope for a better environment, and that does come from the next generation. I think they're going to grab that torch, if you will, of labors, of love, and being united, and stick-to-itiveness, and they're going to charge through and um, see our dreams come to fruition for them as well. Yeah, that's that's what I hope for. That's why we do what we do. So, well, I am again. I, I am so thankful for all your time and education, and I learned some things today too. And we appreciate you very much. Yeah, and I think the last thing that I want to go over, because um, probably a lot of people are probably interested in this, that it is the hot topic now. So, what? Where are we at with this current uh, legal process with this pipeline shutting down? And I don't know Correct. if you heard, but um, Kelsey Warren, you know, the CEO of Energy Transfers, um, particularly said, I think it was yesterday or the day before, that he doesn't care what ruling they make. He's going to leave that oil and keep it flowing. So I hope, I hope mm. they do something about that and don't allow him just to continue just because he um, has a lot of money to allow him to continue to do what he wants and not to follow the law. So that was one thing that, <laughs> that was. I'm glad uh, you brought that up because the minute I hang up, I'm going to, I'm going to go look, I'm going to go research that. And then you and I are, I'm sure going to have another conversation. Um, thank you for bringing that to our attention. Yeah. And then uh, the last piece of it now is that they're forcing the Corps of Engineers and Energy Transfer Partners to do a full environment, environmental impact right. statement which could take years. It could take years. So here, how that fits in with our tribe now is now that we have a voice, we have a, we have a say in how this environment, environmental impact statement is going to affect us. So there's a positive there, but also a negative for our people in a way where it's going to cost our tribe a lot of money, um, you know, to be able to come up with these plans and get the experts lined up and to be able to, mm -hmm. you know, put it in black and white and get the legal process going. And just to kind of give you a, a, a little bit of a, um, a, a, like a wow factor was when I was in council, we had three lawyers, right? Energy mm -hmm. Transfer Partner had 200 lawyers on this case. So uh, that just kind of tells yeah. you how crazy Right. You know, money is versus somebody that don't have money in the political system or even through the court system. So, you know, um, our tribe now is going to be able to be able to participate in this environmental environmental impact statement. And our hope is that we do such a good job that it's going to take five, six years to be able to do it. And we can put so much information into it that 
you know, the pipeline will go bankrupt and they won't be able to put any more oil through it. So. Well, you know, and as we learn more about this, and listen, when there are rulings, all of us, um, you know, we, Mr. Kelsey Warren isn't above the law. And, and one thing when you talk about here you are with your three council versus their 200, you have the power of people and the power of knowledge standing with you, I think, as we all wake up to these issues. And so it will be something to watch as it plays out and something for us to continue to educate people about so the people can stand and be with you because court of public opinion and the power of people goes a very long way. I think so too, Aaron. And like I said, you know, from day one, by following our protocol process, we, we try to stay within peace and prayer through this whole, whole movement. And uh, we have to continue to uh, move forward in that direction within this movement, continue to keep our, keep praying about it and hopefully good things will come. So, I believe that. Cody Two Bears, you know, you talk about be about it. You are about it, and you are a shining example for many of us to follow. You too, Aaron. Like I said, you have a big heart. Thank you so much. Very, very glad you're my friend, and very glad that the Creator has allowed us to cross paths. So, <laughs> I am too. So, my friend, I will see you soon. Absolutely. Very excited. Like okay. you said, you're invited to Standing Rock. Come on up. And if you guys want to know more about my initiative um, and what we're doing on Standing Rock, we're trying yes. to um, bring more solar to um, Standing Rock. You know, um, look us up on Facebook. We're uh, Indigenized Energy. You know, we give a lot of updates on there. We're just starting to get the ball rolling. Uh, we're starting to do more solar uh, on schools and different infrastructures within our reservation boundaries now. So, you know, we'll have uh, updates on there until we get our full site up and running. So That is the name of your nonprofit. Indigenized Energy, yep. You're doing good work. I'm going to pop on there now, too. But like I said, my friend, I am going to see you soon. Cody Two Bears, be about it. I love it. Thank you. Thank you.